HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Mike Edison here, Judy McGuire, out on assignment, ghostbusting, getting ready for our big Halloween show, and guaranteed this is going to be the heaviest show in Heritage Radio history, and I'm holding the book right now, Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal, and if anyone who says this is not the heaviest book of all time just doesn't know their math, because this thing weighs about nine fucking pounds, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and with us today, I'm very happy to uh, welcome... Uh, John Wiederhorn and Catherine Turman, authors of this unbelievable book. Thank you, and it's only two and a half pounds, by the way. But you know, <laughs> but you if can, you, you UPS it, you're definitely going to uh, drop some cash. This is the so. kind of thing that Dostoevsky aspired to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's our it's our Warren piece. Right. It's our Warren no piece at all, actually. <laughs> Got to say that was one of the best uh, in, uh, musical intros we've done. That <laughs> yeah, was awesome. Well, man. Can you do it? Well, thank you. That's the new arts and uh, seizure nice. uh, music. I'm missing the old Mike and Judy theme already, but uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I know, but maybe, arts and seizures. Maybe we should get Metallica to do a new theme well, song for you. We should. Well, that'll you know, cost and, about like five hundred thousand uh, dollars. You think I get him for that? That's cheap. <laughs> That's true. The Heritage Radio is five hundred one C. They could write connections. it off. Yeah, they could write it off. <laughs> um, Metallica. Uh, you saw them last night, Catherine, at the Apollo Theater. Yeah, it was a a, a private concert. It was uh, for Sirius XM listeners, which I am not. Sorry, support the terrestrial <laughs> and the online and the nonprofit radio myself. But what the heck? I wanted to see Metallica. 
And uh, yeah, they they did uh, only two songs from Death Magnetic, you know, which is their their newest. But they did you know Battery, Seek and Destroy, um, Hit the Lights. They started with that uh, for whom the bell tolls. So they did the oldies. Well, well, what is it about Metallica that seems that seems they more than any other metal band of their generation anyway have really transgressed? I mean, they're practically classic rock by now. Yeah, I was thinking about that actually. Uh, John, do you want to chime in? John, of course, did not make it to the show for various reasons, like he wasn't invited. But um, it was awesome. Ouch. Oh, I'm kidding. John, yeah, uh, no, no uh, review passes for those without reviews. Um, yeah, no, Metallica are are, are really a, a band that have uh, transcended every uh, element and 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 every decade of uh, metal evolution and and kind of stuck to their guns. They've made uh, little transformations along the way. Haircuts, but um, yeah, they you know they, they they flirted with alternative styles when that was in. But but really, I think they've done whatever the hell they've wanted to do. And that's a key to their appeal. I think they've stuck to their guns. They said, well, screw it. We're going to do an album with Lou Reed, and we don't care oh, if you don't oh, like it. Oh, good Lord, I forgot and about that. It was, <laughs> we, we, they they people, tried to also. Most people thought it was awful. Most people think St. Anger is an awful record. But, you know, it's an experimental record. It's a, it's a wild record, and it's what they were thinking at the time. So they've always followed... Uh, you know, their muse, their, and, their and muse I think people and, appreciate and that. What, and whatever their therapist tells them to do. Well, plus they invented thrash metal, and, and they'll always, uh, you know, get credit for that. And today they're at Yankee Stadium. Uh, they're right, uh, probably right about now getting ready. Um, well, I guess they'll play if uh, Mariano comes out for the ninth inning. I guess they won't play before the game. Yeah, but, I'm not but, a, a ball guy, so to it's, speak. Uh, Mario Rivera Day Last Stadium. night was his last... Uh, well, they're celebrating him today, uh, I guess. So is Enter Sandman his... That's his, Enter Sandman's his yeah. walk-on music, and there's a ridiculous amount of heavy metal music in baseball actually in sports i mean i always find it's such a slippery slope where i mean first punk rock of course was that unlistenable listenable noise and certainly thrash metal was even one step beyond but now i turn on the you know the game on sunday and they're using like slayer on the bumpers <laughs> well I, <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe maybe wrestling also that started using a lot of rock and metal too and well um you know we talk about a lot about professional wrestling on the show and a lot of the techniques that professional wrestling especially Vince McMahon and the wwe had created are obviously being adopted and have been adopted by the Olympics and lots of other things. I mean, they had also, it was the WWE and that team that produced like the Rolling Stones pay-per-view. It goes way beyond that arena because their idea of how to put on a good TV show and especially a pay-per-view event has been adopted. But let's talk about heavy metal and the book uh, Louder, the definitive oral history of metal. Um, it's a fine line between hard rock and heavy metal. Let me, it, let me, yes. let me stake my, my, my flag. In the All right, let's hear it. Cause I, we make them to blows. Okay. Cause I don't <laughs> Not know. The good kind. Bang your head. Catherine. <laughs> I don't know how much of a metal head I truly am, but I'll tell you what I love. I love ACDC. I love black Sabbath. I dig deep purple. Not um, metal, metal, not metal. Carry on. Okay, well, okay. no, that's not true. For their time, they were metal. When there was no metal, this is what was heavy. And this is what was, uh, you know, the most aggressive form of music. And that's what metal's always been about. I mean, I'd say Kiss, no, not metal. Van Halen, no, not metal. I but they're both hate in the Van book. Halen. I what? fucking hate Van Halen. That is a sound. Oh, I can't even stomach the way they sound. Even the first three Just, records? You know, the first, I don't know. Well, I can't Jamie's really... crying. Come oh, on. Good. Eruption. Running good with the Lord. devil. Revolution. I don't like that style. Leads. I love guitar playing. I don't okay. like that style of guitar okay. playing. Okay, well, if, if you're a punk rocker, bullshit. if you come from a punk rock scene, you're a DIY dude, then yeah, Van Halen well, may not be your cup of tea. And what I prefer to call rock and roll. Well, yeah. You know, and the further it gets away from Chuck Berry, the less I'm probably going to be interested well, you, in it, especially if it was an electric guitar. Well, you know rock. what I will say? I think that must me. I'm then I'm going to guess that you like Motorhead. Well, I love Motorhead. Okay, because uh, you know, in doing the book, who I doesn't love Motorhead? 
I don't like people <laughs> probably who don't someone, like Motorhead. Someone's Actually, grandmother. Someone's you grandmother. You could say Motorhead invented thrash metal. But, motor, but Lemmy would say no. We're a revved right. up blues guitar band, They're, which is what he said. Garage band. God, yeah. They covered a John Mayall song like on their first record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To show you where he's coming from. I mean, that was weird. In, in starting louder than hell, I, 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 we did. I've never written a book. John had never written a book, so I ran around asking people, "What is metal?" And everyone had different answers or no answers. And and Lemmy said, "We're not metal." Even Sabbath said, "We're mm-hmm. not metal." And you do, I mean, Kiss is right up there, and a band I've certainly enjoyed, hard rock band, right? Yeah, yeah, but they're really important because although they were a hard rock band, every important metal band that followed grew up Anthrax, or even started a band because of Kiss, Pantera. But they're you very, know, well, they're very excited, and certainly painting your face, you know, and using that kind of imagery in the pyrotechnics became a cliche for the genre. Yeah, I mean, we actually we chose to start the book kind of proto metal, so we have Alice Cooper and the Stooges, and um, you know, kind of the roots of metal. MC Five, MC5, right? Blue Cheer, right, all all bands that I dig. Yes, right, right. Well, that's that's where you you have the fine line. It's like, okay, Black Sabbath, undefinably metal. You know, I I, I mean, but also kind of a hippie blues. Indisputably, band. yeah, indisputably. I said undefinably. I right, know what okay. you meant. <laughs> yeah, you it's, know, early, it's early. You're having morning. beer, whatever. Right, right, right. <laughs> but but yeah, Sabbath laid the blueprint for metal. And yeah, they the were a hippie print. blues blues band. They started out as Earth, and and uh, you know they They've got a song called from, The Wizard, and there's harmonica. <laughs> they used to have a saxophone player, and and uh, Tony started out or was for a short time in Jethro Tull. But that notwithstanding, yeah. The sound that they conceived was absolutely metal, and every metal fan will agree that this is metal. But what came right before it? What influenced them? I mean, they were listening to Zeppelin like crazy. They were listening to Cream, and you could argue the Cream have elements of black metal. Uh, you know, oh, absolutely. Hendrix, absolutely. What, what Hendrix was doing well, evolved into, into metal. And then certainly, you know, long, screeching, wonderful guitar solos. I mean, to me, I mean, Hendrix, though, he was a blues man. He was Muddy Waters on acid. Yes. yes, you know, but it was heavy, right? And but the drums weren't heavy. He had a jazz drummer, basically, right? And that was like kind of a thing. By the time you get, especially Led Zeppelin, who may or may not be a quote unquote heavy metal band, but certainly that drummer is a heavy metal drummer. Absolutely, John Bonham, I mean, he swings like a fucking beast, but it is heavy. And Jimmy Page can be a metal guitarist, and and uh, Robert Plant has all the elements of of being a metal vocalist. That's a great thing about Sabbath is they were metal and so much more. So they had all the elements of metal, and then they did you know. 50 other things and we're capable of folk rock and we're capable of psychedelia and we're, we're you know capable of just being a rock and roll uh, there, there's a certain legitimacy to acoustic guitars and heavy metal too which was always confounding sure. I'll tell you what really well here's why I don't like Van Halen by the way one reason is that fucking synthesizer and things like Panama and Jump okay and that wasn't know, until 1984 know, they were an established know, band before that all these like heavy metal kids all these like hard rock and heavy metal kids accepted that why they didn't just flee Van Halen and mass and say fuckers sold me out you know what? That's when I lost. Why did they accept that shit? <laughs> because I their lost first, interest then too. Their first four or five albums were so monumental. When uh, when they did Van Halen one and two, there was nothing like it. They they were the blueprint for for the L.A. sound. I mean, they they proceeded like. Quiet Riot, right? I mean, they, they proceeded... In the, the same time frame-ish, yeah. yeah so that, no, that would mean you don't like that chapter in our book where we do... Well, we talk about Eddie overdosing from drugs and the Starwood <laughs> and all the legendary legendary shenanigans there. Falling with, down on PCP in the, well, in the I bathroom. Think, I think, you know, with Van Halen, I mean, lots of bands, but Van Halen's up especially, there's such lack of self-awareness, I mean, which is going to lead us right into Spinal Tap. I mean, there's no sense of irony <laughs> with these guys. You know, I mean, I get the idea that, you know... 
Van Halen went to see Spinal Tap, you know, and Eddie Van Halen's probably like, why are they making fun of me? <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he's the Nigel Tufnell. Actually, guess, it's right? great talking to bands about Spinal Tap because Priest holds Spinal Tap up as like the greatest movie of all time, and they can see all the elements in that film that that are you know kind of relevant and representative. Spinal of Tap is the only movie that has ever told the truth about anything. Wow, Spinal Tap that is, is a, one of the greatest greatest music uh, movies of all time. Um, talking about uh, Kiss again, I want to challenge some numbers here. I know Uh-oh. you guys reprinted uh, Gene's um, classic quote to have slept with 5,000 women. Now, here in Arts and Seizures, we are, are nothing if not uh, astute mathematicians. So just to Next do, the, one do the math, do we accept this? I mean, I think this is bullshit. This is kayfabe, <laughs> as they call it. And wrestling. If you were to sleep with 5,000 women or men or sheep or what have you, mm-hmm. okay, that would be a new partner. Every night, 365 days a year, for 14 years continuously without a break. Okay, but he had more than one partner uh, a night. And he also had more than 14 years to do this in, right? It seems like a lot. Even if you were to take a break, it seems like not a possible feat. Well, I mean, do you consider blowjob sex? So maybe that makes it easier? He could just be sitting there putting on his makeup. Ah, We're getting into the Bill Clinton argument here. Not a question for me. (laughs) I did not have sex with that woman. Um, (laughs) Sexual intercourse. No, well, well, you know, the question is... These guys, if it's their goal to like get laid, which is what you know, half the people said it was. I entered Motorhead. I made a band because I wanted pussy, and because he wasn't attractive (laughs) enough to get it otherwise. Right, and still is. Well, you know, it's Lemmy's Lemmy, but but I mean, you know, (laughs) if if these guys are on the road, like Al Jurgensen recently told an interviewer from Ministry, he said. I've slept with a thousand women. Okay, I can't. I can't wimp. rival what Gene a Simmons. Right, right. Well, he's also married now, and he was married then too. But oh, <laughs> but a different wife, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, no, a different wife. But but that's the thing. He said, you know, I was on the road for thirty years. If you do the math, that's not that many chicks a night. So if, a if, night. If that's your objective, <laughs> if that's your objective, and you have the power to do it because you know there are women lined up at your the power uh, your literally room. sex and drugs are great motivators right so now if you're a rock writer you're probably not going to sleep with 5,000 women what's your number John let's uh, ask the next question here <laughs> so who of all the, all the many people that you interviewed in this book and you re- it's amazing who uh you know, Sabbath can talk to you, all the members of Black Sabbath and Kiss, but like everybody through the 80s and the hair bands and up to, we'll talk about all the crazy subgenres of heavy metal too. Who gets it? Who really has some self-awareness and isn't like, you know, a character of Spinal Tap, which is a character mm. of themselves? That's the a great question. Kingpin of metal? We haven't been asked that, actually. Well, we kind of have. I mean, Well, then you answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, in, in case you didn't uh, get to that part, the mentors are mentioned several times. We have El Ducci in there, so I figure, you know, instant credibility. Oh, well, I say if you're going to call yourself the metal god, then you deserve credibility as, <laughs> as being, you know, especially, yeah, Rob Halford was in a band that uh, – was pretty much the second pioneering metal band and and stayed true to metal all the way through its uh, you know peaks and valleys so I would say Halford is the ultimate metal metal I, hero I think in terms of self awareness and being able to make fun of yourself and seeing all that someone more like a Lemmy um, you know Rob's a, he's a fairly serious guy because he takes his mantle of the uh, metal god very seriously so he's not he's not one to poke fun at metal put it that way and I wonder with, with, with Rob and Judas Priest fans how did they not twig that this guy was gay for a very macho testosterone driven and frankly homophobic audience right, you know, that, you All right well, what about how did you? they not twig that 
Well, I, I, did I think he was gay? Yeah. The second I, stood I didn't even look really. I didn't even really. think about it. It didn't no. enter my. It didn't no, enter my I, mind. They were the first band that blew my mind, and and it wouldn't have mattered. As long as that's oh, all but, they blew. But yeah. Oh. But at the time, I didn't know what being gay was. I mean, I was you know, yeah. I think it did. well, you know, but he's something. the good gay, not like the, the eighties hair bands who look like you know women. Not like flock Cinder- of seagulls or poison gay. Well, right. no, not Cinderella gay, which is like this fake gay. But they weren't even gay. They just like are gay. I mean, like all those hair bands are so. But also, I mean, you know, I'm from New York, and when I see something like that, I connect it to imagery that I've already been surrounded by my whole life, you know, West Village Leather Boys. Right. And, you know, that's another thing, too, is like heavy metal is not a New York City thing. It's a Long Island thing. It's a New Jersey thing. It's a, it's a California thing. It's a suburban thing. It comes thing. out of suburbia. Punk yes. rock comes out of cities. But yeah. this came out of England. This was Birmingham, which, which brought us the two biggest true, metal true, bands. True that. Hippies that yeah. they were. <laughs> At the time, yeah. And Priest started out as hippies, too. I mean, if you look at them in the 70s, they were wearing bell bottoms and high-heeled shoes that they got from their girlfriend. Well, not Rob. He <laughs> got his clothes from elsewhere. He had a sister. But, so but actually, he was the one who, who uh, you know, went into S&M shows. Shops and and uh, said, well, we need a change of image for this band. Let's uh, you know put on the black leather and bring out the whips. And and at that point, you could have you know if you had a brain, put two and two together <laughs> and said, this is a very gay man. <laughs> well, it's but like and no one did. And, and and the label prevented people from knowing too. Management, you know, kind of uh, uh, endorsed him and or, or represented him as. The, the the ultimate macho dude on a bike. And well, re- remember, I think in the story uh, he told you was, you know, when they were getting into their leather thing, he said he, the jacket is was like his Audrey Hepburn little black dress. I love that. That's his leather jacket. Yeah. So, That'd yeah, he's a great. fashionista. Fantastic. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break, uh, a quick a quick break, and we're going to get back. We're going to talk about uh, Lemmy and hair metal and all sorts of other things. It's arts and seizures. Uh, we got some going back, 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 back. Joe, why don't you spin some blue cheer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, we're back here at uh, Heritage Radio, streaming live from Roberto's in the heavy metal section of Brooklyn Bushwick with the heavy metal kids, John Wiederhorn and Catherine Turman, authors of the awesomely heavy new book, Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal. I'm having a blast. This is the best half hour of all time. Uh, thank you. I, mine too. Uh, you know, <laughs> drinks, pizza, you, metal, doesn't get better. <laughs> and, and pizza. You know, that's what punk rockers and heavy metal heads have, Great in, pizza. have, have, have in common. Great beer. Pizza is what fuel, beer, pizza and beer fuels this whole thing. Actually, Joe the Engineer, I think Joe had a question that he wanted to ask you guys. You there, right. Joe? I think Joe's chewing. I am chewing. <laughs> totally. This is awesome. So we'll talk. We'll Heavy metal chew. pizza party. Rock and roll. I know. Exactly. This is how it would go down in a bar. Um, so why is the only band that punk rockers and metalheads can both agree on Motorhead? 
Because <laughs> Motorhead were able to fuse elements of early punk and new wave of British heavy metal. Um, you know, and, and almost even before it was punk and before it was new wave of British heavy metal, they were just so on the cusp of uh, just making loud and, and brutal and bluesy rock and roll. And Lemmy had this just, you know, give a fuck attitude. He didn't care about metal. He didn't care about. He cared about speed punk and chicks. Rock. Yeah. Speed, exactly. both the, uh, the drug so, and the, uh, the, the musical tempo. And he looked like a punk rocker. So, yeah, Motorhead are definitely uh, that, that crossover band, that, that band that allowed the two genres to really, you know, kind of merge without uh, a bottle-in-the-head kind of uh, bar fights. You know, to me, there have only been two truly perfect songs in the history of rock and roll, and one is Ace of Spades. I mean, it's just a, a model of economy and efficiency, not a note wasted, and the other is Maybelline by Chuck Berry, which is the same, a crazy shaking beat. It hits the guitar solo. It's not a note wasted. It's not show-offy. It fulfills its own promise, and then it leaves you wanting more. I know Lemmy would be honored to hear you right. say that. Lemmy's favorite I'm sure he band would, is yes, Chuck Berry. exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. Uh, I want to talk about Guns N' Roses for a second because I was I was a fan when they they, they came out with Appetite for Destruction. I like that record. And Wait a minute, you like Guns N' Roses, but not early Van Halen. And I'm gonna tell you why, okay? Because to me, when I heard Guns N' Roses. What I was hearing was a band that understood the implications of Aerosmith. I heard a band that, like I thought you were going to say heroin. <laughs> also, <laughs> um, but I heard like a, you know because Aerosmith sort of got short shrift at the time. They were sort of fading away. Of course, they you know had a big resurgence. But I heard in Guns N' Roses. Aerosmith and blues and like the Stones and the things that Aerosmith were into and all especially all the hair bands at the time um, for all that talk about glamour I mean how many of them were actually sitting around listening to the New York Dolls yeah I think I mean the dirtiness of Guns N' Roses I'm an LA native I saw them before they were signed and they were just they they lived it uh, you know like they sang it I mean they were <laughs> fucking crashing on people's sofas doing drugs sleeping with sluts um, you know it was real you yeah, it felt, it felt real when they came out. It did not feel like they were made for MTV at all. And I thought the record was very convincing. I agree. I mean, I think it still stands up. I mean, it's, I, I remember I did an interview with them back then and, and the label at Geffen. They're like, yeah, we have high hopes for this. We think it might sell like 50,000 <laughs> 50, copies. And now I don't even know, you know, 14 well, million or whatever million, it's yeah. at. Yeah. So who's the next Guns N' Roses? Mm. Mm, you is know is what? it even possible anymore? It seems to me willful debauchery has gone out of style. Well, I mean... Actually... The, Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I bet you're going to say Asking Alexandra or... Well, right, because yeah. there's, there's a lot of bands that are now hearkening back to that willful debauchery, you know, 80s hair metal thing, and, and that's that's what their, uh, the, you know, blueprint is, really. You have Asking Alexandria, who have yet to really make that massive, massive uh, sales album, ar- arguing that, you know albums can even sell anymore but you look at their youtube numbers and they're astronomical you know they have like like five million hits on a video um but then um the closest you get is avenge sevenfold who were were very tapped into that uh 80s hair metal sound uh, you know in addition to a very very blatant metallica jones and they're huge i mean they probably are the biggest metal band right now um, aside from Metallica, aside from Metallica, yeah, no, the, which, new, which the is, biggest new metal is incre- incre- incredible thing. And new it, metal, N-E-W, not N-U, which is also <laughs> in the book. To m- many people are like, well, what? Okay, lay, lay here's another out. question. Some of the crazy. You do it all for the nookie. You know it, <laughs> Joe. You got another? question? I have another question because. Uh oh. Um. So here, here's. I'm just going to lay this one out. Oh dear. Did Nirvana kill metal? Ah. Uh, well, we have a big story about that. Um. Originally, in our book. Uh, it's over 700 pages now. We had a grunge chapter, basically. Um, we had 
Nirvana, Pearl Jam, but we also had the Melvins and Soundgarden and, um, of course, Yard. Alice in Chains. And uh, Mud Honey. Obviously, Sabbath was a huge influence on on uh, especially on all of that stuff. Yeah, Mar- I mean, Mar- Mar- Honey. I mean, and, and, yeah, exactly. Grungy, druggy. And Van Halen was a huge influence on uh, Alice in Chains, for better or worse. But ultimately, when it came time to uh, to to make the book a manageable size, which you will argue it is not, uh, we cut the entire grunge chapter because you know some people said yes, grunge killed metal. No, it killed the bad elements of metal, the over the top fifth. Generation subpar crap. Metal. Bad metal killed like, bad metal. Basically, you had and, and Nirvana made it look like you know, like right, it, right. It, well, it you had buried hair, it, hair bands taking it to the utmost extreme because record labels kept saying, "Okay, let's make it more commercial. Let's make it more palatable." The same thing happened with thrash metal. Thrash metal started out as a very pure and a very uh, you know sincere and heavy, heavy kind of music until. The labels step in and say, well, how can we sell millions more than Metallica sell? And then bands just get watered down. It's just the, the, the natural evolution of any major genre, at which point the heaviest thing in existence was sort of grunge and the, some of the stuff coming out yeah, of... Yeah, oddly heavy rises movement. to the surface. I will also say that a big part of it, which doesn't seem to be a, a factor now, MTV. MTV turned its back on the hair metal, the headbangers ball, right. and embraced Smells Like Teen Spirit and that of the, the time well, before kind, YouTube was, was a huge like, thing. Well, it was kind of like first wave punk rock, too, when it came along. It's kind of people said, holy shit. I mean, then maybe... It, might have been REO Speedwagon and stadium bands and arena bands, or you know, and yes, and Elton John, and just the you know the bombastic kind Boston. of Boston. I mean, hey, corporate rock still sucks. You yes, know? it does. And the people who are making it do fear, you know, for the next punk rocker and the next three minute guy who's actually earnest and can do it. And of course, immediately the first thing they do is co op. One thing I was thinking right. about when reading your book. The obvious analog in terms of oral histories is "Please Kill Me," um, yep. but what I'm seeing, what I see in the punk rock movement, and here it is: punk versus metalheads. Always, okay. Pass the pizza, pass the beer, and pass Lemmy. Um, <laughs> Please kill me. I mean, the thing about punk rock is it stood up as an art movement, it stood up as a social movement, it stood up as a political movement. It was not just about the music, and in terms of the music, especially, it wasn't so homogenized. I mean, punk, you know, it could have been television, it could have been the Talking Heads, and of course, it was the Sex Pistols and then GBH and the Exploding, the germs. you know, and the Germs. Um, there was a lot of different things within that where in I mean, what does metal speak to besides pussy uh, well it, it, <laughs> you know, it is and, and Norse gods and Dungeons and Dragons yes well, I mean it is that lifestyle though yeah. it's not as exalted or uh, you know art- artistically intellectual I guess that's a thing it's a it's a base lowest common denominator sort of blue collar thing at its heart though you know, here we are, college-educated idiots who love it as much as <laughs> as much as the next GED failure out there. But John, you, uh, I feel you, you were jumping in. No, no. Well, but you know, I mean, "Please Kill Me" covers about a ten-year time period in which an awful lot of stuff happened, and and there was an incredible scene, and it was very political, and and it was very volatile and and, and inflammatory. You know, metal has now been around for 40-plus years, and there have been so many evolutions uh, and and, uh, shifts within the movement. You do have very political metal bands, Rage Against the Machine are a very political metal band, uh, you know. System of a Down, right. if you consider them metal, but they're, they, they are metal. they are few and far between compared to punk and terms. No, but of even Sabbath had political songs. Well, so their first, first record's highly anti-war record. Yeah, but again, they were hippies. I mean, they're arguably still hippies at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but metal covered everything. I mean, you know, they, it's all about extremism, though. That's at its core, I think. And you can get your history from Iron Maiden. You know, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Another band I never Samuel done. Samuel Taylor you know? Coleridge. I mean, they sound like a pop band to me. You know. What I mean? 
Yeah, yeah and I know mm-hmm. how carefully crafted those songs were for maximum radio ex- acceptance. And, oh, you're oh, a harsh critic. You're a harsh critic. No, those songs Ooh. were long. Oh. They were expansive. They, they, were, they were self-indulgent. Not, yeah. <laughs> Mike, you and I have to sit down and listen to Phantom of the Opera. That is a song. Put on Power Slave. Listen to Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is like what? Like. 200 minutes Run long. to the hills. Run for your life. Well, <laughs> that one's four minutes. I dig the enthusiasm. <laughs> Tell me about all the wonderful heavy metal subgenres because the list is uh, endless and it's you know it's much longer than any list of yeah, sexual the, fetishes, for instance. It's incredible. I don't know about that. But. Well, that's what 40 years has allowed. I mean, in order for metal to continue, it's had to evolve and adapt and switch and change and one thing's been a reaction to another. You have thrash metal, the heaviest thing you could possibly do. So then these guys are like, well, how can we no, play the grind core heavier than thrash? Exactly. How can we, how can we do... <laughs> The vocals even more horrific, and how can we, you know? How can our logo be more unreadable? Right, and how can we <laughs> sing about even more violent subject matter? So you have death metal. How can and we smell worse than Watain? Death metal comes <laughs> along, and after death metal, these guys in Sweden are looking at them like eh, these guys are wearing like sweatpants, and they're, you know, their 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 production sounds too good. Let's let's produce stuff that sounds like it was recorded from the bottom of a well and play with like even less agility and you have black metal and, and you know everything is an evolution or or a reaction unless you kill to what, unless your singer's killed it. by another singer then there's no more evolution in that band. Well, you just get another singer. I mean, you can after have you your eat singer, the, after your first singer's sure, brains. You eat your singer's <laughs> brains. Well, he's the I don't one, know if you've gotten to the that one part who yet. Uh, blew his head off with a shotgun. That was and his name was Dead. So it, the writing was Self-fulfilling on the wall. Self-fulfilling prophecy, as, as they were say. his brains and blood. Oh, but uh, was definitely a high-risk high profession, especially <laughs> especially in the darker areas of the sport. But but you can mock black metal and and say, oh, it's all a bunch of mass murders and church burners. But there are some amazing musicians within you know that sphere. And guys who aren't burning churches now and are just making really wild and and uh, you know uh, in, inspirational music. Well, there's no question that these cats can play. I mean, that's you know a lot of it is about flash on guitar. But mm-hmm. honestly, I've never been interested in the you know the Eddie Van Halen or the Ingvi Malmsteen style of guitar playing. Just I don't find it interesting. It's, it's so far removed from the blues, and I find it so cold. And you know, it's all about technique and doesn't come close to the stuff that really got me hotted up. You know, when I was a kid, when I first heard rock and roll, I just sort of like this, this isn't music. It's a science experiment. I have to say personally, I'm with you there. And in fact, uh, much to our are not disappointment. Uh, we couldn't get Ingve for the book. We did not try hard. We said, "Hey, would Ingve like to do an uh, interview for the book?" No. I'm okay. guessing. I'm guessing he doesn't get it. I'm guessing he's the guy that the does least not self-aware get it. musician <laughs> that is not in the book of all time. Hey, you know, as ever, it's been the fastest half hour on the internet. But before we go, I want to tell you what my favorite factoid, fact, uh, little story, anecdote in the book was: is that when Angus uh, Young and I love ACDC, one of my, probably the greatest band of all time. Uh, the greatest live show I've ever seen, all like seven or eight times I've seen them, just like absolutely. And I consider them a rock and roll band. You know, they're sure. a heavy rock yes. and roll band. And if that touches metal, fine, but it's, you know, I know Keith Richards likes them for the same reason I do. And, and it's they've Malcolm. made a great album like 12 times. Yeah, and, you know, and Malcolm <laughs> just drives that fucking thing, you know, like, yeah. like, a, like a beast. But I love the bit when he's trying to figure out what his stage gimmick is going to be. And, you know, he finally lands on the schoolboy thing. And he considered wearing a gorilla suit. <laughs> <laughs> We love nothing more in arts and seizures than men in gorilla suits. <laughs> uh, I'll leave you two alone. <laughs> so, uh, Catherine and John, louder uh, than hell. Where do we find you guys on the internet? You guys doing any uh, personal appearances on the radio? Where can we find you on? You're Facebook listening and to it now. No, we uh, we have a Facebook page, a Twitter account, louder than hell, um, Tumblr account. 
And we are, yes, we're hoping uh, we'll be coming out in soft cover next year, and so we will uh, make any mistakes we've made, which, of course, I'm sure there were none in 700 and something pages. There cannot be one mistake. Well, I'll tell you what. This is a fucking awesome book. Thank you. Thank it's been you. a great half hour here at Arts and Seizures. Mike Edison, Judy McGuire is still out there chasing ghosts. We'll be back Judy. next week. Thanks to Joe the Engineer and the thank Heritage you, Radio you. Networks. Thanks to you for listening. See you next week. Woohoo! Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.